0: Welcome to Weekly Homilies. Each week we present a homily by Father Mark Suslenko, pastor of the community of Saints Isidore and Maria in beautiful Glastonbury, Connecticut. These are introduced by myself, Jonathan Sozek, director of our community's faith formation office. For more about Father Mark and the life of our community, please head over to isidoreandmaria.org. Today we present season one, episode ten of this podcast. We will hear Father Mark's homily from march eighteenth, twenty eighteen, the fifth Sunday of Lent in year B. The Gospel for this week is John, chapter twelve, verses twenty to thirty-three. Let us now listen to that reading and hear Father Mark's response. A reading from the Gospel of John. Some Greeks who had come to worship at the Passover feast came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am there also will my servant be. The Father will honor whoever serves me. I am troubled now, yet what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd there heard it and said it was thunder. But others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake, but for yours. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this, indicating the kind of death he would die. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: One of the more difficult questions we will ever have to answer as human beings is this. Who am I? Who am I? Now it seems on the surface that this is a simple question. Of course I know who I am. I've been living this life for so many years. It's easy to answer. And as we begin to answer that question, perhaps most of us will start with things about ourselves that we know and do. Preferences that we have. Who I am in the workplace who I am in terms of relationships that are a part of my life, what I do, what I prefer, what my likes and dislikes are, even what I enjoy doing in my spare time. And we can come up with a whole list of all of these things that describe who I am. But as we begin to put that list together, and we step back from it, we can then realize that it's only one part of a much bigger picture. Because most people know themselves by what we can call their worldly self. The self they project to the world. Their interactive self. That's the self that gets up every morning, looks in the mirror, decides what clothes I'm going to wear, makes food preferences during the course of the day, makes decisions about daily operations and requirements, and goes about the business of routine. It's the self who's engaged with children and and my spouse and other folks with whom I share life, making decisions and charting the course of our affairs. The worldly self. What we don't realize is that there actually is a deeper self than that, one that is underneath that worldly self. And we can call it the higher self, the higher self, or the true self. This is the self that, when we were fashioned by God in our mother's wombs, at that moment of conception, it's the self that God made us to be. When he put the spark of his divine life within us, his very image and likeness, he fabricated us and created us in a very special and unique way, a way that is not shared by any other human being. Not shared by any other human being. You see, each one of us has a name that's known to God alone because his indelible print is on each one of our souls. And so we have our worldly self, but then we have this higher, more true self. And in our spiritual life, we tend to look at ourselves from that worldly self perspective. And one word that is crucial to unlocking a true spiritual life is the word obedience. Obedience. In fact, many spiritual authors suggest that obedience is the highest virtue in the spiritual life. The highest virtue. But yet it's a word that when we hear it, for some of us, may make the hairs on the back of our neck stand up a bit because it comes with negative connotations. Perhaps the word obedience has been associated with things in my past that were difficult or even perhaps hurtful or negative. And so when I hear the word obedience, I think of conformity, and then I look at the way our world operates, and it's all about immediate decisions and immediate wants and immediate needs, and it doesn't quite fit into that model of being obedient. But yet obedience is much more than that. And we taste it a bit on a secular level. You know, anyone who has ever been a part of a team, for instance, knows about obedience. You have a group of folks who come together, whether it's to play basketball or soccer or a team at work or whatever the team experience might be, and you have a coach or a leader. And very often, in order to make that team work, you have to leave aside what you would prefer and do what the leader or the coach is directing the team to do. And so personal preference gives way to the greater good and trusted to the decision and the goodwill of the leader of that team. And that's how good communities and good team approaches and good workplace environments come together in that kind of a model with which we're all familiar. In our spiritual lives, we often want God to deal with more of our worldly self than our true or higher self. We're more concerned about God manipulating and changing the furniture and circumstances of our lives, and we worry less often about what's going on in here, in our truer, higher self. What does it really mean to obey God? What does it mean to have a posture of obedience to God? Well, Jesus learned about obedience through his suffering, and so it taught him lessons about his relationship with God and how the whole thing was put together. What is God's will for us? And if we had the opportunity to ask the question, which we all ought to, what would God choose for us? What would God choose for us? Well, God would choose for us not to choose. Think about that for just a moment. God would choose for us not to choose. In other words, he wants us to choose him and what he thinks is best for us, not what we think is best for ourselves. Now, that often doesn't fit into our worldly self, you see. In that world out there, it doesn't often make much sense. But in our truer, higher self, it makes perfect sense. Because we are meant to be obedient to our creator, and to put ourselves at the submission of his will so that what he does in and through us is what he would do for himself, for himself. We are created in the image of God. We are called to walk and live in the likeness and the image of God. We are called to be transformed into the image of God. So why would it not make perfect sense then when submitting ourselves in obedience to God's will, to then allow God to produce within us what God wants. And if we look at the totality of that question, what does God really want? Well, God wants us to be like him and to live in love and embrace life. It's all about life. Scripture tells us God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. God has imbued the world and us with the wonderful gift of the life-giving love of his presence, and he wants us to live in that presence. So why would God not choose what is best for us? It would seem to me that being a loving, unconditional, creative that that's what he would want doesn't any good parent want that of their child if they're loving them unconditionally would you want something for your children that you would not want for yourself and so it is with God and us but the problem is is that on a secular level it often doesn't make much sense Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just the grain of wheat. As we conduct our worldly business, that kind of thinking often doesn't make any sense. It certainly doesn't make sense in our corporate world. It doesn't make sense a lot of times when we walk out the door of this church. It doesn't make sense a lot of sense to folks who don't know about their true self or their higher self and only know themselves by their worldly self, which is why a lot of people look at that and say, suffering? Death? There's no sense in that. And so they walk away from faith. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat in order to embrace and really understand and accept that means that I must submit myself my will over to God's will and allow him to do that in and through me but here's the thing if you're anything like me we don't want to we don't want to fall to the ground and we don't want to die. And if we're faced with that dilemma in our lives, if we're staring death straight in the eye, if we're confronting the difficulties of life, if life is changing in ways that I don't want it to change, well, we want God to fix that. I don't want to die. Jesus, even in the garden. Lord, take this away from me. But then he came back with the obedient response, not my will, but your will be done. Because he heard, unless you fall to the ground and die, you will not have life and so there it is in the mystery of it all that we're often called to leave our will behind and to embrace God's will which is the path to love and life the problem is we don't trust it and that's where we have the biggest problem With abandonment into the divine. We want to cling to the fact that we know how to do it better. And it's a risk to allow our will to be absorbed by God's will. And there's the challenge that every Lent brings us to to clear away our agenda. And stop thinking like ourselves with our secular stuff and nurturing more this truer, higher self. Because in the way God has put us together, the higher, truer self ought to be the one informing the worldly self, not the other way around. And so as we rapidly come to the end of our Lenten journey. Perhaps we can take these last few days and couple of weeks to really focus on whether we're willing and even able to allow God's will to be done in through me. Because at the end of the day, it's what pleases God most that matters, not whether we've achieved what we want and prefer.